Our scripture reading today is John 15, verses 1 to 7, and it is on page 876 in your pew Bible. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also, will, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Before I start, one thing I want to show you is, um, or just point your eyes to, is this um, amazing art piece that was done here by our creative team. Um, and one thing I was told of is that all the hands are hand-drawn, so they're not like just like pictures of some, something, but someone actually hand-drew them. And even the song, I think the intro song, is, is something that we craft, as it were. So, um, yeah, just... Want to say amazing job, um, and we have some amazingly talented uh, artists, and so for that we are grateful, and so thanks for that. Do you know what the first ever tweet was? Tw a tweet? So this tweet is a, 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 a thing you throw out on Twitter. Twitter is a social media platform for some of you that may not use it where you can, used to be very limited characteristics that you just throw up. Anyways, the very first tweet was this phrase, what hath God wrought? This tweet was sent by a person named Samuel Morse in 1844 from Washington to Baltimore. The tweet, what hath God wrought, is from Numbers 23, Verse 20, uh, chapter 23, verse 23, which is translated in the NIV as, see what God has done. So that sounds a little more like, okay, yeah. That to me is, yeah, seems, I don't even know what that means. But what it meant means is, see what God has done, that he was able to send this tweet, this code from Washington to Baltimore, the invention of the Morse code would take off and operators would start using the Morse code to communicate with others that otherwise could not have been communicated with. They used to have to use buggies and horses and send letters that would take days. 
and it became one of the main forms of communication for the Navy and was used during the war times and was in use till 1999 when the last commercial Morse code was sent with the same words that was sent back in 1844, what, has, uh, what hath God wrought? I came across this article that talked about this first tweet as I was looking into the history of social media. Like, how did social media start? Why is it so popular? And the, in the article that I was reading, it ends with this thought as it considers what the future of social media would be like. And the writer says, human beings are social creatures and businesses are driven by human interaction. So as long as there are human beings who continue to interact with one another, there will always be a way of driving business out of that interaction. What I came away from that article, besides the, um, the business model that, that uh, the future will continue to take, is, is that human beings need interaction and connection to one another. One psychologist, Matthew Lip, Lip, uh, Lieberman, argues that human beings are hardwired to connect and that need to connect is so strong as our need to breathe or to eat or to drink. It is a basic human need. And the rise of social media would speak to this basic uh, human need for us to connect with one another. And if you look at our passage today, Jesus speaks to this need we have as he compares our connectedness or our communion with him to that of the vine. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus equates himself as the vine and us as the branches. The vine Jesus is referring to is the grapevine, which is very important to the economy and a sign of prosperity in the ancient Near East. Grapes were used to make wine, and drinking wine was part of uh, their everyday life, as much as coffee or tea would have been in our modern-day world. The um, wine was usually diluted with water and was drunk even for breakfast, uh, uh, for, uh, as an example. Another important reason why Jesus uses, uh, sorry, yeah, so that's, sorry, go back a bit. So Jesus uses something very common, yet important to the daily lives of the people around him to speak about the kind of relationship we are to have in Jesus. Just as the vine is connected to the branches and the branches can only live and thrive while it's connected to the vine, we are also to remain in Jesus as Jesus remains in us. It is by, it is by being in this two-way connected relationship that we can bear fruit. And just as the branch will wither and die without that connection, we cannot produce the kind of fruit without being connected to the vine. Uh, another important reason why Jesus uses that metaphor of the vine is that the vine often represented the nation of Israel. They were referred to as the choice vine in the Old Testament. And when the vine went, vine went wild, it meant that Israel was rebelling against God. So when Jesus says in verse 1 that he is the true vine, Jesus is speaking of himself as the true Israel. Though we don't know that Jesus was thinking about this passage, uh, 
But you can see that example in Psalm 80, verse 8. In Psalm 80, we read that you transplanted a vine from Egypt, and you drove out, which, which is Israel, and you drove out the nations and planted it. Your vine is cut down to, to, due to their rebellion, and your rebuke, your people perish. Verse 17, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man, that is Jesus, you have raised up for yourself. Then we will not turn away from you because of Jesus. Revive us and we will call on your name. That is the name of Jesus. Unlike the vine Israel that rebelled against God, Jesus, the true vine, is faithful where Israel couldn't be. Unlike Israel that God referred to as the Son of God in the Old Testament, Jesus, the true Son of God, is faithful and sets an example of how to live and to be in communion with God. As we are connected to this true vine, the true Son of God, we can receive the life-giving nutrients that we have been hardwired for. This past summer, the pastoral team, I may have mentioned this, we went on a prayer retreat, and we were preparing and planning for the upcoming year, and as we spent time discerning and listening to what God has uh, had planned for us, one of the themes that came to us uh, was the sense of abiding in God through prayer. That we as the people of, our, uh, of God are called by Jesus to abide in him as he abides in us. We were reminded of this passage in John 15 of the vine and the branches and how Jesus desires us to abide in him. So verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, you may be thinking from this passage that you don't see the word abide. And it's because in the NIV, the Greek word for abide, that is mino, is translated here as remain. What's important about this word is that the Greek word mino occurs, in the, occurs the most in the Gospel of John. So out of the 112 occurrences of this word in the New Testament, 40, the word mino is mentioned 40 times in John. And then later on in the uh, epistles of John, the letters of John, it's mentioned 25 more times. For John, this word to abide is an important theme as it communicates this enduring character of God and of Jesus. The word doesn't mean just to remain with somebody, just to hang out or to be around someone, but it has a deeper sense of this enduring presence of God that abides or remains with his people forever. Another translation of the word that gets at the same sense of the word is abode. That comes from the same word as minon. So this idea of abiding is seen in the baptism of Jesus as well. In John chapter 1, we see that Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And look at what John the Baptist says about, John, about Jesus. Verse chapter, uh, John chapter 1 verse 32. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove. And remain on him. And I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this, God's, this is God's chosen one. So John the Baptist saw the Spirit of God 
come down from heaven and remain or abide with Jesus. It's the same Greek word again. It is because the Spirit of God abides with Jesus that John the Baptist can say he is the chosen one, the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. It is as if the very abiding of the Spirit of God on Jesus is the proof that John the Baptist needs as the, to the one who is God's Son, the Savior of the world. In John chapter 14, just before Jesus says to us, we are to remain in him, and this is what Jesus says about his relationship with the Father. John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who, will, who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. My Father will love them, and we will make our home with them with them or abode with them it's the same root word of minon so why does this matter jesus as the son of god who is this awesome who is in this awesome mutually indwelling relationship with god the father and the spirit as the true vine of israel calls us to be in the same kind of relationship that is is present in the in the trinity Jesus invites us to this union with God where we can abide in Jesus as he abides in us. We are invited into this mutual indwelling relationship of the triune God. And it is through this union with God, through Jesus, that we will receive the life-giving energy that a vine would give to a branch. It is in abiding in Jesus that is in being in communion with God who will make his abode in us that we can have life to the fullest, even life everlasting. And so this is where prayer fits in. Prayer is the very way in which we can come to union with the living God. The ancient mystics believed that prayer is the primary way in which we have union with God. Oftentimes we think of prayer as a way to ask God for something, to help us when we're in a tight spot, to heal someone, to, to help us to get a promotion or a job, or to pray for a loved one who is sick. And all those things are okay for us to do because God asks us to pray and ask for those things. But more importantly, prayer is the way in which we can just be with God. Sure, there are times where the circumstances would warrant that I need to ask God for something, just as I would ask my wife or my closest friends when I need something or if I'm worried about what's going on in my life. But at the same time, my relationship with my closest inner circle isn't transactional. It's not that I, I, I ask for things and then they give me and then I do something for them. But rather, it's, it's a mutual relationship, uh, relationship of me and the other. It is a relationship of intimacy where the best part of that relationship is our love and intimacy for one another. It's this space where you can just sit and be. Do you have those people in your life where you don't have to talk? That you could just be in each other's presence without saying anything? and you don't feel awkward, like you need to do something about it, but you could just sit and be. I think this is what God wants for us, that kind of union where, sure, there are times we need to communicate, and the communication develops intimacy, but it gets to a point where we can just sit and be. 
and that's enough. But do you remember the first time you ever prayed? I'm trying to remember my first time ever praying. I'm sure it was over a meal, right? Your, your, your mom or dad is teaching you how to pray for a meal. I think I did the same thing with my children. I still remember that. All right, it's, it's, you know, lunchtime, and you're like, okay, let's pray. And they put their hands together, and you, you teach them to pray. But when you pray in front of others, it's so much different, right, than when you pray on your own. Like when you pray in front of others, and that's why I find it sometimes hard for me to find people who want to do the prayers of the people, right? Because you're worried of like how you would sound, what you would say. And I get it. It's hard, right? But when you pray on your own, it doesn't matter, right? Because it's just you and God. There's no right way to pray. You don't have to say certain phrases. You're not worried that you're bumbling your words or your train of thought, you know, when you're praying sometimes up here and if you, uh, or like in a group setting, and if you don't prepare your prayer, sometimes you're like saying stuff and then in your head it doesn't make sense and you try to make it make sense by saying something to complete that sentence, right? I, I don't know if you ever have that. Uh, it happens to all of us, um, even, yeah, pastors included. Um, but that time alone with God, when no one is watching, no one is you're not worried about how people hear your prayers. That's the prayer of your heart. You could just pray and be yourself. Maybe for some of you, it's hard to be yourself because you feel like God knows everything about you. Then it's even more harder. But yet, it's that place where we can be our true selves, not having to worry, and no one is listening. It's just you and God. And one Greek father defines prayer in these three simple words. Standing before God. Standing before God. It is just you and God, and you're just standing in front of him. And this is what he says about how we stand before God. This state of standing before God may be accompanied by words, or it may be soundless. Sometimes we speak to God. Sometimes we simply remain or abide in his presence, saying nothing, but conscious that he is near us, closer to us than our own soul. There is no right way or wrong way of praying. We just need to pray. It is to take the time to stand before God and to speak or to weep or to shout or to sing or to just be silent. Just as you can get to a place with your loved ones to just be, to just enjoy, enjoy each other's company, so it is with God we can just be. With someone who is closer to us than our own soul. As we were reflecting on this uh, experience as a staff of uh, listening to God and hearing that God wanted our church to be abiding in God through prayer through this year. One of the thoughts that came to us or a realization that came to us is that, isn't it amazing that God is the one that wants us to abide in him? That is, it's not us saying to God, God, please let us abide in you. Please let us be able to sp spend time with you and connect with you because you're so far away. You don't want to spend time with us and I have to like coax you to spend time with us. No, it is God who says to us, 
I want to spend time with you. And he's saying to us, to our congregation, obviously he says this to the whole world, but this year, during that, our, our time together, we felt the sense that God's saying to us, I want you to spend time with me. And to me, that is the amazing part of this passage. That Jesus is the initiator of that loving relationship with us. This is why it says in John chapter 1 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling or abode in us. This is why Jesus says to us, abide in me as I abide in you. Because he is the one that came to us first. He's the one that loves us and desires that relationship with us. Our prayer is a response to his active and, and that picture of Jesus leaving the 99 behind. Not leaving them behind, but going after that one that is lost. So for the next seven weeks, we want to encourage you to enter into this space of prayer and to encourage you to spend time praying. So every Sunday, what we're going to do is at the end of our talk is to practice uh, a prayer practice that we would encourage you to try for that week. Uh, I was reading about this one um, article where it talks about spiritual practices and, or any practice. No practice is formational or that is effective or changing, life-changing, unless you do it. Right? It makes complete sense, just like working out, right? We know working out is, is really good for us. We know exercise is healthy. But if you never do it, it will never impact your life. In the same way with the spiritual practices, and sometimes it can be very hard just because we need to practice. Just like working out, it's that first like hump is really tough, right? But once you get over that, you know, you're, you're in the zone, right? In a similar way uh, with spiritual practices, so we really encourage you. But again, there's no right or wrong way. You don't need to do it for half an hour. You could even start with two minutes as, as a way to start. So we are hardwired to be connected with others. And this need has been designed by God because we are made in the image of God of this trying God who mutually indwells and calls us to that same kind of loving communion and union with God. The need is as strong as our need to breathe. And Christians have used this process of breathing as a way to attune to the spirit of God, which in Greek is pneuma, that word uh, spirit, uh, which can also be translated to as breath. So when God created Adam and Eve, he breathed his pneuma into, or ruach in, in Hebrew, into Adam and Eve, and they had life. His breath came into uh, the, bottle, uh, the dead body, as it were, and was given life. And even now, when we talk about someone who's, light, uh, who's living or dead, we ask that question, are they breathing? So God has designed this breathing, something we do just normally, but he's also designed this deep, slow breathing to calm our body's nervous system and to help us to center our minds. Isn't it amazing to think that God who gave life to Adam and Eve, 
by breathing into them, that this same breath or spirit of God who, who abides on Jesus or in Jesus at his baptism is the same breath of God that abides in us. That even in our very simple act of breathing, that we can connect with God. So this morning, we're going to practice this prayer called breath prayer that um, Christians have been doing for centuries. Uh, it started since before the 4th century, uh, and it's been around for a very long time. And so what we'll do is we'll start with by taking very deep, slow breaths. So five seconds in, five seconds out. Try to sit comfortably and become present with your body, and then I will lead you through the rest. So let's pray. So let's start by taking very slow breaths in, five seconds in. And then five seconds out. As you continue to breathe, open your mind to God. You may just want to remain here in the loving attention of Jesus. You don't need to say anything. It's your heart to God's heart. As you continue to breathe, if there's a word or a phrase that comes to mind, you could start praying those words. It could be something like, abide in me as I abide in you, or you are the vine and I am the branches. So as you breathe in, you say, abide in me. And as you breathe out, 
We pray as I abide in you. Jesus, Son of God, the true vine, we are so thankful that you want to abide in us and that you ask us to abide in you. We thank you that you've created us in a way where our searching to find that connection, that communion, We'll never be satisfied until we find it in you. And that you ask us and you've designed us so that we can connect with you so we could fully be human, so that we could fully thrive. And thank you, Jesus, that you give us that breath of life as another way for us to pray, that even just in our breathing, we are taking in your presence. And as we breathe out, we are taking your presence with us to the world. So thank you, Jesus, for that kind of love. And give us the willpower, the desire, the, the time to make time to abide in you uh, this week. May we be reminded uh, as we breathe as we need to take deep uh, breaths that we may hear and commune with you. In Jesus' name, amen. We do have this uh, breath prayer online for you to access. It's on our website under spiritual practices. It's also in the link for those of you who are on YouTube. And every week we will add another spiritual practice for you to uh, try for that week. And so we encourage you to do so.